Welcome to the Traveling Image Makers Podcast, your source of inspiration about travel photography. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy the ride as we bring you on a tour around the world with our guests. Hello, what's up everyone? Before introducing this week's guest, I would like to take some time to talk about a few of the photo tours um, that I've scheduled for this year, 2018, and that I thought you might be interested in. Uh, so first of all, uh, by the time this episode airs, I will be less than a week away from my uh, photo tour of Venice for the Venice Carnival. Uh, I'll be there uh, starting February 5. And um, we don't have any more um, residential spots, but if you would like to join us for maybe one or two days or more and, uh, and come together when we shoot those uh, wonderful masked models and have some private sessions with them, uh, just let me know. Uh, I will be able to probably accommodate you. Uh, then uh, at the end of March, uh, beginning March 31st actually, and into the beginning of April, I have a street photography workshop in collaboration with uh, Steve Simon of The Passionate Photographer, and we will be doing this in my home turf of Milan. Then uh, uh, end of April, beginning of May, I'll be in Sardinia for a week of touring the northern Sardinia coast, uh, this uh, wonderful island in the Mediterranean. We will be there at the uh, in the middle of spring when the weather is really nice and we hope to capture some great landscapes. And then finally, uh, first week of May uh, is my traditional tour of uh, the Cinque Terre and the Italian Riviera and we have plenty of spots available for that. You can find everything about this at my page uh, ucphoto.me slash tours. I would also like to give a shout out to my co-host Ralph Velasco, who is not with uh, us today. Uh, he has a couple of spots available for his trip to Cuba, March 10 to 17, and some more for uh, Spain, May 18 to 28. And you can find everything about those at his website, photoenrichment.com. Thanks for listening, and we can now resume our regular programming. Okay, welcome everyone to another episode of the Traveling Image Makers podcast with your host, Ugo Che. Uh, today is going to be just me. Uh, essentially, our guest is in Thailand at the moment. So because of just uh, uh, time zone reasons, my co-host Ralph uh, could not join us. It's 5 a.m. where he is today. So we'll give him a pass on this and it's just me interviewing our guest. So, about our guest, Jen Lung, uh, if I'm pronouncing the name correctly, is the Snap Happy founder of a new type of travel tech startup that marries photography with social impact. Um, Jen's vision is to start an empathy movement where vanity can create social good with real income opportunities in developing, developing communities. Living truly as a global citizen, tracing her upbringing in Hong Kong, Vancouver, and Shanghai, Jen has since traveled to more than 42 countries, photographing underprivileged communities, and speaking five languages in total. 
Her stories from the road can be seen in the Huffington Post, Vice, Global Mail, just to name a few. And recently, to marry her passions for uh, deeper social impact and storytelling, Jen is launching her own venture, Wondersnap, at wondersnap.co, a travel photographer for higher platform as a means to offer job opportunities around developing worlds. Uh, she thinks that creativity should not be a first world privilege. And uh, at 28, Jen leads by example in how millennials can make a difference in communities around the world. So quite an impressive uh, resume here. And also I will just add that uh, she has been mentioned by Campaign Asia as one of the <coughs> top 20 women to watch in Asia. Uh, and in her spare time, she also teaches she teaches indoor spinning in Shanghai and is currently the Asia brand ambassador for KFIT. And uh, she has also previously served as the child rights ambassador to Hong Kong for the United Nations in Geneva. And she's a graduate of the University of British Columbia in finance and economics. Uh, wow. And welcome, Jen. <laughs> <laughs> that's quite a mouthful when you put it like that <laughs> yeah yeah impressive resume how do you find the time to <laughs> to do all of this <laughs> I, think, I guess it's just if you're passionate about something we all have the same 24 hours it's just uh, how you make of it and you you spread all over the place i mean hong kong shanghai mm -hmm. and now i believe you are in in chiang mai thailand so mm. where, where where do you where are you based most of the time or are you just one of those people who are don't have a home truly global digital uh travelers <laughs> there's like such a class of them right yeah. um my belongings my stuff is stored in hong kong but oh, okay. uh, it's true that i'm on the road quite a bit um, i think by nature of what we do and in how many cities our business in um it, it means that we go into markets and our team sits between thailand pakistan and philippines while our communities we have you know creators in 58 cities around the world so it's really awesome when you get to get on a plane land and just have the top creators in that city eager to connect and show us where they hang out um, and that's sort of the best part one of the best parts about building wandersnap and anything else you would like to to add to your uh, to what i just said about you or do you think nope. <laughs> we <laughs> pretty much covered it? I mean, I, I didn't even quote everything from your bio because there, there's more there, but I think that's, uh, that's should, <laughs> should give an impression of uh, how what kind of uh, person with multiple interests uh, you are. And, and it's mm. great. So uh, let's talk about uh, Wondersnap uh, at first mm. because I'm really, I'm really curious about it. We just... Mm. Uh, Aside from what I said, so it's a platform for uh, travel photographers to offer their services to, to travels, travelers. Uh, is that right? Is that what I understand? Yeah, so part of it, it's actually just connecting um, individuals with locals to curate original content. And one of the, of course, the most obvious cases is when people are traveling, they're visiting somewhere far, maybe it's a trip that they saved up for. Um, or it's just a place that they've gone often, but each time it's a different occasion. And so we built initially this platform to connect um, 
original average everyday people with local creatives without needing to spend a lot um over the course of last year we actually ballooned beyond that where um it's helping people celebrate local life moments so if you're in your hometown and you're spending mother's day valentine's day etc um you also get to hire someone to come and curate for you um and then also with businesses and event photography as well cool how did you come up with the idea for it was it your original idea did you have some inspiration yeah so i spent a lot of time on the road in my past careers and one thing i always pondered about was that the genuine way i believe to help someone break through a cycle or help them achieve a better life it's not about giving away more stuff it's actually just to create job opportunities and with the amount of people traveling around the world i think an average hong kong person travels actually 12.8 times a year more than any other ethnicity nationality and that's a lot of time on the road and yet two steps down from any particular tourist you always see youth young and capable either driving a tuk-tuk uh serving in a food stall or working at a hotel. Now I'm not saying that those are not good jobs or job opportunities. It's that with traditional jobs it takes so long for someone to level up in how much they make. Whereas pursuing a creative career and being a freelancer, it's probably something you and I take for granted as a luxury, but you need to have a certain income background, education context in order to even afford to invest in the gears necessary. So if we can at least help create these opportunities in faraway places so someone can earn an income if they feel like they're really good behind the lens, then they can charge whatever rate they deem um, suitable. That's interesting. Uh, I mean, I would have thought that at a time where everyone has a camera in their pocket, essentially, Um, everybody is, uh, goes around snapping selfies and so on. Uh, I wouldn't personally not have thought that would be a market for on-location photography services, a- at least for just mm-hmm. normal travelers and tourists. Do, do you find it hard to market in this kind of world? Mm. That's a fair question. I think there's three points here. Um, one is actually around, think of any other consumer goods, right? Whether it's sportswear, Uh, leather handbags, um, anything else, even electronics that we're used to buying and spending money in. It all started with low quality at some point. I think the first layer is actually just because people are so used to using their phones or even having their own DSLRs in the pocket, they will soon realize if they haven't already that quality matters. Mm-hmm. And part of that comes with talent, time, and experience in knowing what to do with that gear. So as more people actually use these tools, that actually benefits what we do because we're the only go-to place for affordable yet quality content. I think the second piece is not to forget also the demographics. Um, a lot of our customers, at least the individual side, um, there are moms and families and couples who don't really have time to carry around a DSLR and actually shoot while they're carrying their baby bag and keeping, you know, the kids happy and not crying. So there's that context on whom it is that we're serving. Um, even for businesses, the marketing managers are usually not the ones carrying a camera to shoot the dish in the restaurant. They still rely on professionals who are vetted and experienced to come and do that job 
um, so then they can spend their time somewhere else. Um, lastly is, um, we also recognize that the biggest difference between someone shooting on their iPhone versus hiring a Wanda Snap snapper, it's actually on the instantaneousness of that content being ready. So if anyone ever says, ah, oh, Jen, I don't know if Wanda snaps for me, the usual number one reason it's because my iPhone shoots quite well already and I can edit and get the photo right away. So why would I want to work with someone and create a lag in that? Yeah. So we actually developed um, a tool we call Live Photos that are only exclusive to Wandersnap creators so far. But the idea behind it is as a photographer clicks the button, our app actually instantly edits, watermarks, and then serves the visual on a landing page. So then the ultimate client or customer can actually see that gallery instantly edit it via his or her phone and trying to bridge as similar as we can to the iPhone experience without compromising the DSLR quality. Interesting. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm, I, I'd love to, to agree with you. I mean, to, to believe that there is uh, still a market for, for the, those kind of services. And definitely there is for, as you said, for, for businesses. I mean, if, if I were a business and I would travel to a place uh, as a manager, I would definitely not carry a camera to 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 do photography there. Uh, I would be more concerned with other things. I'm I'm ho I'm glad to learn that there is still a market even for for serving private individuals and tourists. Uh, yeah, it's a. Uh, I think it's great. It gives us hope as photographers that we still have a, <laughs> a clientele to serve in that respect. And, uh, and, and that's and that's exactly yeah. it. It's also on the creator side. At the end of the day, beyond the hobby, we all want to get paid doing what we love. So that's a, a matter of job opportunity. And what are the odds that an individual creator somewhere is going to invest in SEO and tell the stories and work with tourism board, Instagram accounts in order for people to know that, hey, when they go to Bangkok or Bali or Seoul, you're the person that they should be calling up to curate content for. Much of that just doesn't happen because it's too time consuming for the creator. And then on the customer side, same thing. They already need to book their flight, their hotel, their activities the last thing they want to do is probably spend four hours searching Tokyo photographer and then see who comes up and then sort out the emails and pricing and schedule. So we're just trying to bridge both sides, create more jobs for creatives. You're completely right. Um, and then also save time for the customer. Good. You mentioned some locations like Seoul, Hong Kong and, and Tokyo and mm -hmm. so on. And I see that uh, most of the locations that are currently available on the website are essentially in Asia. So I say from some, I've seen Madrid there. Uh, yeah. So you, you started with Asia because that's where you're based. And then, but are you planning to, to expand worldwide? So if I say tomorrow I want to go to New York, I could find a, a photographer there. Yeah, we actually just had some inquiries today about um, bloggers headed over to New York Fashion Week and they said, hey, can we please have someone there to help us capture all our um, fashion show behind the scenes? Um, short version is, uh, yes, we're ready for global sign up basically um, within a month. Um, so if you're listening and it's not yet ready, just drop us a line so we can add you on the wait list. Um, but the idea is we started in Asia um, for a few reasons. The customer base is more mature in terms of being willing 
to book a photographer. It's not strange to book one even for Saturday night dinner with a lot of friends. Um, price points affordable. I think there's still a talent gap around um, how much excellent visuals is worth out here versus, let's say, in Europe and North America in much more commercial and mature markets. Um, so those are in some considerations on why we started in Asia, but we're definitely ready for global um, this spring. Uh, let's say I'm, I'm a photographer and I want to apply for, for Wondersnap to, to offer my mm. services. Uh, how should go about doing that? Are there... Is there a set set prices? Can I make my own price? Mm-hmm. How does that mm. work? Yeah, so from day one, we were also creator-centric, meaning um, we weren't about building a platform that only served our interest. I think it's already a really competitive world out there. And so without creators, we do not have a platform of a community. And then no, no one wins. So um, whether it's setting your own price, your own schedule, your own types of shoot, your own deliverables, meaning how many uh, edits are you going to commit to for per hour of shoot. All these variables are in control of the creator. Um, We've also seen, it's quite interesting from a year ago until now, where we've seen certain creators who uh, preset a lower price to start. And once they had 10 reviews and they're all five-star reviews, then they uh, increase their pricing upwards by multiples. And we thought that was actually quite smart, um, where by then, regardless of what they charged, their reviews were outstanding. And so the guests were more willing to pay for a higher price. Um, So all these variables are in control of the snapper. And all they have to do is go to wandersnap.co and find the button for become a photographer and then just follow the guided steps there and they're ready to go. So you don't have like a, a vetting process. Uh, you just don't check their portfolio to say they're good mm. enough. It's it's up to the clients essentially. So our our stand in this matter is that anyone can sign up, but not everyone would be listed in search. Mm. And you're 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 hitting the nail right there that the vetting actually still happens. Part of it is automatic. So. Um, that that in, involves um, checking someone's profile if they have phone verification, um, some ID verification, um, pulled reviews from their Facebook photography page, etc. Um, so these are base requirements that we need in order for someone to be enlisted. Um, there is some manual vetting as well. So making sure, for example, that um, their portrait works are front and center and the profile is not very landscape heavy, even if that may be something that they're good at. Um, and then also uh, manual by in terms of uh, we have training videos for each creator when they sign up. And the reason there it's uh, being a photographer or wander snap creator, it's not just about taking amazing shots. It's knowing the soft skills to make a client, a customer comfortable when there's a screaming baby to know exactly what to do and being culturally aware as well that if you're shooting a family, let's say they're Muslim or of Indian heritage, there are different nuances in how we dress, how we speak that are very crucial to understand before serving a client. And so all of these um, go via manual vetting by way of training videos and some quizzes throughout the onboarding process. Well, I think you touched on something that is really important that, uh, that not many people don't think of is that 
Yeah, the, the, the photos count, but it's also the, the experience. So uh, if I'm, let, let's say I'm a traveler and I mm. hire a photographer through Wondersnap or any other mm. kind of platform, or uh, I will appreciate the good photos, but I will remember the experience. So if the photographer is able to deliver great photos, but his personality is not to my liking, or I experience is not nice i will remember that much more than the photos uh, so i, I think it, you touched on something very important about having the, the, the right connection and cultural sensitivity is very important in that you you need how to relate to people especially from different cultures and so on so yeah yeah, and I think to underline it, what you just said. <laughs> yeah, it, it's in more generally too, right? A conversation around I call it the artist complex, which we all have a little bit of, and um, where we're proud of our work. There's some uh, level of ego and, and, and self identity in whom we are and what we create. And I think the difference is artists may not suit Wandersnap and vice versa, because these are the types of creatives who are brilliant at creating. And their revenue sources might be selling prints, um, working through stock images, and just doing commissioned works. And there's nothing wrong with it if, if you're, that's the kind of artistry that you specialize in. But there's also another bulk which we serve, whom are human-friendly, experience-centric creatives, who know that without the customer service and the soft skills, no one would be booking and therefore their work would not be commissioned. And the latter part is the piece that we're trying to crack and serve, um, and we believe that the opportunity is there. Yep. Uh, another thing, uh, you're currently in Chiang Mai, you say you told me you are visiting your one of your development teams there, so <laughs> there is development going on on Wondersnap, I assume, and maybe without spilling too much <laughs> the beans can you tell us what's next for wondersnap are you planning to introduce some <laughs> new features if there's anything that we can you can talk about without violating any ndas i would love hearing about that <laughs> yeah we're actually really excited about um, our entire site having a facelift in two weeks um, and so what you see now would just be completely upgraded. Um, some of this is only visual in that um, our UX can be improved on mobile. Um, but a lot of it is also functions that we learned from the last year. So one that's relevant for creators is the idea of auto pay. We know that remittance across the creative industry is a mess. It is very manual. Um, long accounts payable cycle where the creators submitted the work online on time, but they wait three, if not more months and weeks in order to get paid. And so we automated all of that through our booking system, whereby as long as a creative has shot for us before and has uploaded the work, the system will automatically trigger and pay remittance to the creative um, automatically. And so I think that's very powerful to just help uh, the creatives be more productive. Um, and then as well, um, putting emphasis on our live photo technology. Um, currently, as I said, it's only for uh, folks who are part of our community. But the ultimate intent is that any event organizers should be able to utilize this to actually create buzz through event photos, not the morning after, but during the event. 
mm-hmm. um, even wedding planners, brides. I never quite understood how brides spend so much money finding the best award-winning wedding photography team. And then the next morning, they usually post an iPhone photo that a friend took and said, hey, we got married, we walked down the aisle. And part of it, it's because the stylistic edits and the artistry in it does take time. There's no way they can uh, crank that out the night of the wedding. But if our technology can at least help the wedding photography team push through these edited content right away and then buy them some time to do the stylistic edits uh, as part of their month-long or six-month lead time, then the brides still get what they need and they're more likely to share that and promote um, for the photographers as well. I was uh, part of a discussion between wedding photographers. So I was listening. Mm. I'm not a wedding photographer, so I was more like <laughs> listening to them talk about this. Uh, I see more and more wedding photographers that are offering this kind of uh, uh, real-time kind of photo sharing service where during the ceremony itself, they would just uh, make some photos, a selection of photos available through some quick processing for the uh, the bride and the groom themselves or the guests to be able to share online on social media, to be, to, be, to be able to share quality photos even before the guests were able to share them, right? So they don't Correct. have to, to rely on crappy phone pictures taken from the, the, the back of the, the church, but they have some quality shots that they can share immediately on social media because that's what everybody wants today and so that the photographer can offer that will be able to be on the spot be there real time and and share his photos and his photos shared before everyone else so people are really thinking about that and i see that you are working in the same direction yeah i mean look the there's no debating that people and customers and the world is just becoming more demanding right it's wanting more affordable more instant, higher quality, and more artistic visuals all in the same go. (laughs) And our bet is that we can't change that. But what we can is leverage technology to do this um, effectively. Um, So for any wedding photographers out there too, if you wanted to try out our tool, just drop us a line. Uh, This does not involve, you know, bringing on an additional headcount during the shoot to edit. It's all automatic um, via our technology and that's just the world we live in, so we can't fight it. We'll just work with it. <laughs> yep, absolutely. All right, so anything else you would like to, to add to about Wondersnap? I would like I to... Hmm? Yeah. yeah, I think it's, it's just... Um, we always think about it internally. It's just such an interesting time with all this talk about AI and automation. And, you know, I think in, in the next five to ten years, the big shift, at least across creatives industry is what task, which part would still be created by a human versus which parts um, would be complemented by technology. I don't believe in one replacing the other, but it's finding that magic balance where the two can coexist and solve each other's problems. Um, and that's not just a WandaSnap problem or an Asia problem. I think that's a, a scenario um, across the industry. Um, and that's something that we just spend a lot of time thinking about it and we're always open to feedback. Um, but it's some exciting time to be alive, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah, I completely agree with that. 
So um, the second part of the interview, I would like to talk more about about you specifically about Jan Lung. So I would like to ask you, um, what, what about your personal creative endeavors? Do you like to to photograph? What do you like to photograph, and why? Mm. Yes. So I love more than anything um, street photos, um, portraits, um, and then I guess some landscapes as well. I, I'm really a talk of portraits. Mm-hmm. I, I I was obsessed with droning before my drone fell off the sky. Oh. <laughs> um, so I think it's more given my the opportunity to always be on the road and travel. I almost feel it's my responsibility to find stories and hidden gems um, that are not necessarily mainstream. So if I go to Bali, I go hike a um, sulfur-filled volcano crater and share stories about uh, miners who hike this volcano every night in order to bring down the sulfur, sell it, and keep their family incomes going. Um, And those are the types of stories and um, visuals that I'll go to the ends of the world to go find. Um, But it's also made very easy and accessible to do through today's social media age where um, it's just that much easier to find stories and and discover places um, all via our phones. Yeah. Um, What what kind of equipment do you use? Yeah, so I'm a recent convert from Canon to Fuji. (laughs) I know that's probably probably controversial and um, I marinated on it for a very long time, but I'm, I'm loving experimenting with mirrorless um, and just playing with the moodiness of the captures. And they play much closer to, I think, the portraits um, that I want to capture. Uh, when I had the drone, I flew the DJI Phantom 4 um, and also have some uh, GoPro underwater gear um, for any of the diving excursions that we do. So talking about Fuji is absolutely not controversial with me because I shoot Fuji too. So. <laughs> I know the feeling. <laughs> uh, what about your drone? You said it fell out of the sky. Can you tell us uh, how it happened? Yeah, not to sound superstitious, but Bali's an island that's very much... Um, dependent on the moon calendar and so oh. when the when it's full moon and actually locals um, so, um a lot of them close down the shops they go to the streets for festivals and they go to the temple to pray and whenever it's a full moon on the island something always goes a bit kooky and in this case um i had direct direct line of sight it was blue skies no wind no birds no trees it was just on top of this jungle um that i've been to many many times that i droned over as well and just out of nowhere on the screen, I saw, it wasn't even static. It was tumbling image and recording the video of. And I looked up and the drone was just 360 spinning um, pretty much off the sky. Fortunately and unfortunately, it fell into the abyss of the jungle. It's a river that there's no way we could have hiked down to. Um, fortunate in that it didn't actually cause any casualties or hit any ind- crowds or individuals. Unfortunate was that um, it was two days out of warranty. And so DJI refused to actually even look at the data of what mm. happened, less so compensate. Um, so for anyone out there, definitely make sure your gear is always under warranty. Um, yeah. Okay. Interesting story. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, it's probably just the... Uh mechanical failure or something something like that i think or you think it was hit by a bird i, I heard stories about 
drones being hit by birds, but mm, was never a confirmation about that. It just fell out of the sky, and people thought there is no possible reason why it would have I happened. Think it's, yeah, I think as much as, in this case, because I had direct line of sight, it's genuine that... I don't know, this is such hearsay, but the conspiracy of, you know, Bali being so yeah. sensitive to full moons, there is difference in magnetic um, wavelengths around that time of month. And that's why tidal changes happen. And, and there might be something where um, the magnetic fields are just stronger or the forces change. And so somehow uh, the drone just got <laughs> compromised. <laughs> Who knows? You know, some, some gods there were envious of the... <laughs> just kicked him out of the sky <laughs> yeah cool story um what about travel and i would specifically like to ask if you could leave tomorrow and money was no obstacle where would you travel to and why i still have so many places to go yeah. so i think to answer that it was probably i, I just just if i could, can relate to that i mean it just was i came back from China last week. It was my first time in China. And right. I used one of those uh, online maps uh, where you can mark the, all the countries you've been to. And uh -huh. I just counted 47. But uh -huh. I realized uh -huh. that with 47 countries, that sounds a lot like most of the world is gray. <laughs> There's no color in there. So there are so many places I've not been to and I would like to, to be. So yeah, just, just the same. Yeah, I think the more we see, the more we know how much we don't know. That's the irony of it. And if I'm a greedy person, so to answer your question, I just get a one-way round-the-world ticket mm -hmm. and hop as many places along that route as possible. Um, but I have been blessed with you know, certain experiences that I'll never forget, probably this lifetime where... Um, the highlights were probably running a marathon in Pyongyang, um, meeting the mother of Myanmar, Aung San Suu Kyi, uh, by chance at the airport, um, skiing in Kazakhstan, um, and camping in an, in, a, in an Indian reserve tent in the middle of Joshua Tree National Park. Like There were just so many top-notch experiences, and after each one, I'm always left with a hum of thinking, wow, humans are pretty awesome. And two, there's still so much I don't know. So if we can at least just learn more in this lifetime, I think that's what traveling should be about. And you're still young. I mean, you managed to do all of this while you're, you're what, 28? I think it says on your <laughs> <laughs> I think part of the, the allure is um, for anyone who started their career or is working in Asia, travel is just so accessible and affordable. Um, half, I, I, granted, I lived in Shanghai for six years, but Hong Kong is a um, five-hour flight from half of the world's population. Within that radius, that's a lot of places and culture and people to experience. And um, by no means, I think, is that the same opportunity being based in Europe or in North America, but that's part of the advantage of being in Asia. There's more holidays on the calendar than any other countries, and you take advantage of that by jumping on a weekend flight um, and visiting somewhere new. Yep, great. So this is my last question, which I've started recently asking all of my guests, uh, what I call a discovery question. Uh, you can mm. take your time to answer it is what drives you crazy? 
where do we start? (laughs) (laughs) Um, I suppose there's two. One is more personal reflection and then the other it's more systematic. Um, With personal, it's I've grown up in massive metropolis and I spend most of my time um, living in one and working on one. Um, And seeing how most citizens of big cities walk around their cities and their towns being upset or depressed or stressed, I think that's a huge conundrum that is something that I go crazy about personally, about finding balance, but also how can this generation be more mindful rather than um, getting so stuck in the way of the cities? And when we go into, you know, a rural village in the middle of Vietnam, that sense of joy and contentment is so genuine that a city person would never be able to match, at least currently. So I think mindfulness in the city is something that I'm personally um, present to. Um, And then more systematic, it's just loosely... Um, injustice. Um, And I don't mean that in just gender configurations or cultural or religious, it's all of the above. Um, We were not born equal the way the society is organized. And so seeing that, whether that's through our travel or the kind of work that we do, the creatives that we serve, that drives the team crazy. And ultimately, it's something that we want to solve for. Right, and, and not children crying in the background while you're talking on the phone. <laughs> I was going to say that that's, uh, but hey, that's unjust too, you know, she's experiencing. Yeah. That's part of life, that, yeah. I mean, no, yeah. I was just saying, so I was just <laughs> mentioning that to for our listeners who don't know you're in a hotel lobby, so we have to take what we get, <laughs> including <laughs> children. Life crying with their parents in the background that's fine that's part of life uh, it's great to that's crying that. for the unjust and, and the things that make us crazy right <laughs> yeah, and i think you're you're perfectly uh, intelligible so that's that's not a problem at all so great okay so uh, thank you very interesting reflections uh, about that i love this kind of question that uh, tends to to provoke some some reflection um, and it's great i loved your your answers yeah i i personally never consciously thought about that the the, the big city that you see people around yeah. and the way they are uh, not 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 mindful of their surroundings uh, too too busy too worried well, and always chasing after something right. always feeling like there's not enough and it, it, my, I think genuinely mindfulness is probably the biggest luxury that we can have as this generation, especially when we start getting bombarded about how we coexist with technology, automation, robots, whatever, like flying cars, like whatever. The paradigm is all challenging. What does it mean to be human? And I don't think we are even in the space to reflect on that. If day to day, we're just so caught up at needing more, more money, more access, more cars, houses. It's just the least human experience. Um, and at least it's not to say that we don't experience this in rural villages and, and, and countryside, but I think in the big city, it's just front and center. And you see it when you're walking on the streets, the way people bury their faces in their phones. Yeah. All right. So this was a great conversation. I really loved it. Uh, 
and I hope our listeners will uh, love it too. Uh, before we wrap it up, I would just like to ask you where can people find more about you online and about Wondersnap? Sure. Um, so they can head over to wandersnap.co um, or find us on any of the social media platforms, also by Wandersnap. Um, and I look forward to connecting with each of you. Great. We will put links to all of that in the show notes. And uh, all right, that's uh, let's keep in touch. Maybe... Let's say one year from now, we will uh, talk again and talk about what uh, <laughs> <laughs> developments in Wondersnap and where it's headed. I, I would love to to talk with you again in the future. For now, uh, all the best and take care. Thank you so much.